Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 13 if you've lost your place. The year 270 AD was a bad year for Christians in the Roman Empire. The emperor, Claudius II, had declared open season on Christians. They were being hunted down like animals. They would be arrested, persecuted, many times slain, martyred for the Christian faith. There was one man who stood out among all the believers in Rome. His name was Valentine. Valentine would be the rough equivalent of an evangelist in our day. Also, he was an exhorter. He was an encourager. He used the Word of God to encourage the believers. And he was much loved. Not that he sought to be loved, but he loved in such a way that people's lives were radically changed and they found courage to go on because of the circumstances of their lives, simply because they declared themselves to be followers, disciples, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Among things that he would do to encourage believers, he would take parchment and he would draw circle, uh, hearts rather on the parchment, then cut them out and give them. And it was a way without saying anything, without anything written on it, to let them know that God loved them and that they were in His care, and to keep that close in their thinking as they were undergoing all the problems that were taking place in their lives. He suffered a similar fate that year, 270. He was beheaded by the emperor. Sometime in the future, I'm sorry I don't know the exact dateline of that, but he was declared a saint by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, let me pause and make note of this. Everybody who knows Jesus Christ is a saint. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. The word saint simply is a word which means holy one. And this is the way that Paul addresses the church at Ephesus, all the members of it. Same way he addresses the church at Philippi, he calls them saints. People who are set apart for God's use. I hope you know, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too are a saint. And you were set apart. Even before you were born, God had a plan for you that you would be following Jesus in this day in history. Praise the Lord for that. And no less than we, like Valentine, who was declared Saint Valentine, because of the way in which he encouraged the believers. He loved them. He extended himself to them to the extent that he too lost his own life in martyrdom. But I'm sure he went to the place of execution with joy in his heart, knowing that the Lord was going to see him through that difficult time in his life. The New Testament has two words which are translated by our English term, Love. Before I talk about those, I'm going to talk about two other words 
in the language of the New Testament which were used in everyday conversation among the Roman citizenry. One word is the word eros. You probably recognize that as a word from which our word erotic comes, eroticism. And in biblical days, that word had grown from being a rather neutral word. It had to do with the love of a man for a woman or a woman from a man that was expressed physically in the context of marriage. Well, that word by the time of Jesus' day and the Apostle Paul's day had degenerated into simply representing lust, not love. Another word, storge, which also is not in our New Testament, this word was a word that was used to describe the love that was experienced in a home. It was the love that a parent had for his or her child, and children had for their parents, and children had for their siblings in the context of a Roman home. Good word, one that applies to us today as well. But the two New Testament words, one is philia, which means brotherly love. And my research has revealed more than just that superficial kind of description. It was a word which also had to do with love of body, soul, and mind. For instance, in some of the writings outside the New Testament, contemporary to the New Testament, it is used to describe a caress or a kiss from one to another in the context of a marriage relationship. So it was something that had to do with what eros meant to begin with, but it was much more than that. It was love that was not limited to the physical. It was a love that we might describe in our day and time as how we fall in love with a person. And that can and usually does involve a relationship in the context eventually of marriage in the physical side. But that is a love that has to do beyond that with friendship. Jesus himself says in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove or rebuke and discipline. And the word he uses there for love is not the common word that I'm going to mention in just a moment. It's the word phileo is the verb form of philia. And it's a legitimate love. And we, if we're like Christ, we're going to have those kind of friendships. Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And guess what word he uses? He uses the word philia. Jesus used it as a term of endearment when he was talking to his disciples, his close associates, as they followed him. You already know, I'm sure most of you do at least, the uniquely New Testament word. It's agape. agape ag agape's parent word, depending on the way you look at the origin of words, it could have been the word from which agape was taken, or it could have been the child of the word agape. It's agapao is the verb. That word is found in classical Greek literature outside the New Testament. The word agape, however, is unique to the New Testament. Here's the definition of that kind of love. Agape is the sacrifice of self in the service of undeserving others. Eros, actually, was used on more than one occasion 
to describe a hero in Greek folklore who gave himself for his wife and his children so that they would not be destroyed by an enemy. That is very respectable love, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with it. But notice, that was given to someone who was deserving of that love from the viewpoint of the giver. But this whole idea of New Testament love, the love that God has for us, and the love that we are to have for one another in turn, is this kind of sacrificing ourselves in the service of undeserving others. That's exactly what God did for us, isn't it? We know what John 3.16 says. A similar verse is found in the book of 1 John chapter 4. And part of it says this, God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Imagine that. We know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's sort of the commodity that we have when we trust in Christ. But John later in 1 John, in that verse I just mentioned from 1 John chapter 4, says we are to live through Him. Christ comes to indwell us and the, so that He can express Himself through us to other people, not the least of whom would be us who know Christ. Jesus puts a premium upon our loving each other as brothers and sisters of Christ with this self-giving kind of love. In John chapter, 1 John rather, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul, John writes this, he says, See what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. Isn't that amazing? That we who were enemies of God prior to His securing our salvation, notice the word, He bestowed His love upon us. We didn't go searching for it. We didn't seek it. He gave it to us. He bestowed upon us that love. And in so doing, we were made children of God. And the word bestowed means He gave it to us and He cannot take it back. It's a permanent possession of everyone who has received Jesus as His Lord or her Lord. And once more, we are to be dispensers of that love. That's what we're going to talk about today. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 14, this is what the Bible says about the love of God. It says, the love of God is the bond, perfect, I almost left out an important word, the perfect bond of unity in the body of Christ. How important do you suppose unity in the church of Jesus Christ is? Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where he says that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bonding something together is very important. It makes that thing or that group of people, in the case of the church, unified for a, an express purpose. Jesus says in John chapter 17, 
He talks about how that he prayed that we who know Christ would be one as he and the Father were one so that the world would know that God sent Jesus so that the world might believe that Jesus is who He is so that we could know the Father. It is critically important that we who know Christ love each other. Jesus says as much in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Look, if we're in a fuss with each other in church, and it's inevitable that we're going to have differences, whether it's the church in microcosm in your home, where there's a Christian wife and a Christian husband, there's going to be conflict from time to time. But if that persists, what do we do? We block people from seeing what Christ can do and who Christ is, and we stymie the progression of the gospel. The church is the same way. This message that we're looking at today is one that probably is familiar to most of you. There's not a whole lot new that I'm going to tell you. But you and I need to periodically come to this place in Scripture and evaluate our own personal walk with God by this statement of love. How do we have the power to love the life that we're about to talk about? Well, it's because of what the Bible says. In various places, I'm going to choose a couple. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts, been given to us, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God who has been given to us. When you receive Jesus, when I receive Christ, obviously He didn't set His body down inside of ours, otherwise He would be limited to one place all the time. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to ask the Father, He's going to send you another helper, that is the Spirit of truth who will be with you always. That's how He can be in us, all of us. He's here with us. When we leave here, He's going to be with you if you know Christ. He's all over the world. As I saw this brother and sister in Christ from Perm, Russia. He's in Perm, Russia today. He's anywhere you have been or will go because He is living in people. And if you go there, He goes in you. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. When we gather together, we can portray Him in the way in which we worship Him, but also as we live together. This is a little artificial in a way. There's not much community building going on in this setting. That's why we need to have opportunity to be with others in a smaller setting where we can really share their lives, our lives together. But the Lord is in us, and He insists upon living His life through us, by the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit. What tops the list of the description of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians? What comes first? What is it? Love. And it's the word agape. What does that love mean? I repeat, it's the sacrifice of myself in the service of undeserving others. Now that doesn't mean everyone that I show Christ's love to is undeserving. I'm not in a spat with everybody I come across. But what it does, it makes all people who know Christ 
candidates for this love that I encounter. And I have been helped immensely by a writer by the name of Bruce Milne on this one point. In his book on Christian fellowship, he talks about how I'm having trouble loving someone who is a believer. I say, I can't do it. The Lord says, I know you can't do it, but I can do it through you. And after all, the Spirit of God would say, Jesus is in that person that you're having trouble loving. Now, I'm assuming I'm talking to a believer or about a believer. He's not in all people. He's only in those who, has, who have received Christ. But I can look past my differences with that person and look and know that Christ is in that person. In his book, Who Changed the Price Tags, Anthony Campolo tells the true story of a fifth grade teacher. Her name was Miss Thompson. She was a woman who loved the Lord and she loved her students. Year in and year out, she looked forward to the beginning of a new year. A new class would come in and it was like diamonds in the rough for her. And she was going to teach them math. She was going to teach them reading, science, all the things that a fifth grade teacher would teach in that day and time when a teacher would have maybe 25 or 30 students in room without any kind of assistance. This particular year, a new year started. She had the same fresh expectations, some teachers in the room. And you know, you can have a crummy year as a teacher. And it ends, doesn't it? That's one of the beautiful things about being a teacher in the school system is you can have a bad year and then you can have the hope of a good year in the next year. She would have that hope. She had not had a particularly bad year before, but she was anticipating another good year of teaching, teaching them truth, but teaching them things, giving the opportunity about the Lord too. She was a Christian teacher. This is set in the days that teachers had very few restrictions on them. There was a child in her class though his name was Teddy, Teddy, Teddy Stollard. And Teddy was a boy who was not at all appealing to her. First time ever in her teaching career that there was a child she just couldn't tolerate. The very thought of him after a few weeks of trying to teach him, because he was very slow, he was inattentive, he was not there. He was there physically, but he was not there much of the time. It caused her to dig into his past. She went and looked up the cumulative record on the young man, learned that his teacher after the first grade had said he has great promise to be a good learner. In the second grade, that perspective changed. He became more difficult. His mother became ill. His father worked, of course, full time, and his mother was dying, and consequently, he began to go downhill. He didn't have the attention that he had experienced in the nourishment and nurturing he had received from his mom. The next year, he went to the third grade and he got worse as a student. His mother died that year. The fourth grade, he was labeled as impossible, basically. Give up on him. There were no sped classes at that time in schools, public schools. And so they were just trying to pass him on, you know, pass him on to the next grade, get him out of my classroom. I don't want to have him again in the coming year. And there he found himself in Miss Thompson's class. In her class at Christmas, 
she taught the Christmas story. And part of the Christmas tradition in her class would be like our traditions about the changing of gifts. And she told the kids they could come and bring a gift and exchange it with each other. They would take a little name or a number out of a box and then share. And many of them also brought gifts to her. As the end of that time came, and they were getting ready as students to leave for the break, right before they left, she said, children, many of you have given me gifts. Would you all come up here and surround my desk as I open them? And she took them one by one, and she commented positively about every gift which she received. There was one that she really wasn't eager to open because she knew probably who it was from because of the way it was wrapped. It was poorly wrapped, put together, obviously without the help of a parent. And when she opened it, she knew it was from Teddy. She opened it, and in it was a bracelet that was ugly, to say the least. She looked at it. It was covered in rhinestones, but there were many rhinestones missing. As she did that, she noticed the other children watching her carefully because they were so intuitive. You didn't have to be too intuitive to know that Miss Thompson was not particularly fond of Teddy. They wanted to see what her reaction was. They were kind of giggling and whispering to one another. And then she put that bracelet down. Then she pulled out a small bottle of cheap perfume and she looked at it. Same kind of reaction from the class. Teddy was looking, hoping that there would be some positive comment. What she did was then, she took the bracelet, she put it on her left wrist, clasped it. Then she took the perfume, did some on each wrist, and she said, children, look at this. Isn't this a beautiful piece of jewelry? And then she said, this is so fragrant. This, oh, it's a beautiful, I think this is going to be my favorite fragrance going forward. And the other kids started to say, yeah, that is a nice bracelet. It's amazing what one person can do to influence a group, isn't it? If they have the right heart. And so she thanked Teddy as she had thanked the others. Teddy came up after, before, as the other kids had left, he came up and he said, Miss Thompson, you look so good in that bracelet, just like my mommy did. It was her bracelet. And you smell like my mommy too. Merry Christmas. And he left. She closed the door. She went over to her desk by her chair and she broke down, began to weep. She thought, asked the Lord, forgive me, Lord, for not loving this child. Forgive me. Help me. And she did that for the rest of the year. She had another half year. You know, at the end of the year, he had reached normal level for a fifth grader and then some in that one semester he made a gigantic leap in his educational career. When he graduated from high school he sent her an invitation and in the invitation there was a note that he had been salutatorian second in his class. He went to college and at college he was number one in his class when he graduated. She got another announcement. She went to both of those graduations and sat there proudly as his former teacher. He went on to medical school. He did extremely well in medical school. 
He graduated medical school. He invited her again, and she went. It was no duty for her. It was something that was very beautiful for her because of the relationship she had with this young man. And then shortly thereafter, he received another invitation, a wedding invitation. And in this invitation, he had written a personal note and said, Miss Thompson, my father has died recently, and I have no parent living, and I wondered if you'd be willing to come and be at my wedding and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive today. That's a heartwarming story, isn't it? It's what a Christian's life can do when that person denies himself, herself. Remember, the sacrifice of self in the service of undeserving others. We've been crowned with loving kindness and compassion. That's one of the many benefits that accrues to us who know Jesus Christ. Now think about that a moment. What kind of person wears a crown? Tell me. No ordinary person. Who wears a crown? A royal person. We are part of a kingdom of priests if we know Christ. We're part of a royal priesthood. And we are people of value. There's nothing to strut around and make a lot of noise about that. That's just who we are. You know, when you know who you are, you don't have to try to impress anybody. Love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not jealous. It's not any of the other things we've seen. Not short-tempered, etc., which leads to the next thing, is not provoked. That means it doesn't fly off the handle. Are you touchy? Are you irritable? That's a sign that you're not a loving person. You don't know the love of God. Now, we all have those moments where we kind of are, are a little irritable, slow on sleep, maybe hungry, whatever, but the reality is the tenor of our lives is not to be that, not to be touchy. I read a little pamphlet when I first started to grow in the Lord that left an indelible impression on my spirit. It was called simply, it was in the form of a question, what, called, what made you cross? And where I came from, if someone was cross, it meant the person was out of sorts. What made you irritated? And as so I read that, I said, yeah, it's me. I make myself, my own selfishness leads to my being irritable and touchy. And then I began to think, as I meditated on that question, what made you cross? I saw another way you could look at that. What made you, comma, cross? Like speaking the cross. What made the cross of Christ? It well, was my selfishness. To handle my Are you touchy? Are you irritable? My arrogance. That's a my impatience. I saw another way All the you things could look that at that. Are what descriptive made you, comma, of what love is like not. Speaking the cross. What made the when cross we come of Christ, Christ it was my selfishness to handle, not to be my touchy, my irritable, my arrogance, and here's the last my impatience, not another way. all the things that are what descriptive comma, of what love is not. Speaking the cross, what like the way the NIV translates my selfishness to handle, not to be my touchy, my irritable, my impatience, I'm wrong, all the things that are descriptive of the probability initially at least, like the way the I hope you get yours. It'll come back to you. What goes around comes around. And it does. That's true. It does. Whatever so, whatsoever person sows, that also that person will reap. You reap to the wind. You're going to reap a whirlwind. So I don't have to worry about that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay is what God says. I don't have to worry about getting even with anybody. I just let it go. 
Jesus, in perhaps his greatest moment, when he's crucified, the first thing he said is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The people who crucified him, spit upon him, gambled for his garments, cursed him, all those people, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That should be our heart, a heart of forgiveness toward other people. Well, I want to finish with you today. I want you to be stimulated by this and think about what we've learned and do your own study. And I'm going to encourage you, memorize those two verses. It's a very short piece, but do you see the importance of living a life of love? Do you? And if you're interested, learn those verses and ask the Spirit of God to teach you what they mean. Now we're going to sing. I'm going to sing a little solo here. I've been wanting to do this for 40 years, but I'm finally going to break my silence on it. We're going to sing, and I've asked Travis to put it up on the screen. It's from 1 John. Many of you know this. You're in my age group, some of you, so you may have learned this. I learned it during the Jesus movement back in the 70s. So I'm going to sing it, and it's the King James Version. That's the one I learned it in. One way to memorize Scripture, by the way, is to put it to music or find it put to music. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. That's good, isn't it? Why don't we stand together and sing it? I'm going to lower it down a little bit. No, I don't want that. But I'm going to lower it down just a little bit. I got it a little high there. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And as we finish, please note the second part of verse 7. Everyone that, does not, that loves is born of God. What is the hallmark of a true believer? We love God, right? We're born of God. If we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and knows God. How important is knowing God? Well, Jesus says it, doesn't he? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Amen? Amen. Let's go out and love each other. How about that? God bless you.